You're listening to Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. So today I want to talk about unity. Unity is a beautiful word, and often when I talk about it, everyone is certainly saying unity. Sure, who doesn't want it? But I think unity, the word, is misunderstood often because there are actually different forms of unity. Not all of them are healthy. Not all of them are honoring to God's vision of what God desires of uh, God's creation. And one of the biggest problems I find is that unity is mistaken for conformity. This kind of understanding that, you know, if everyone looks the same, agrees on the same issues, there's no conflict, then unity is achieved. Um, as some of you might know, the famous Japanese proverb, you know, a nail that sticks out must be hammered in. Uh, it's not always helpful. It's actually not always what true unity looks like. And I want to just kind of give you some case studies. One experience that I definitely have uh, lived in for a while is living in the Asian American churches. Um, I spent many years uh, in several different Canadian and American Korean churches and also um, spent a, a long season in two Chinese American churches and now I'm here at JBC. And a lot of times this word unity comes up because, you know, one thing that some of my Euro Caucasian peers in ministry don't realize is like how complicated Asian American churches are. They're not just divided by language, they're also divided by culture and generations. And even within certain languages, there's uh, differences as well. And uh, you just need to talk to some of our friends in the Burma churches, uh, just how complex it can get. You know, there's no easy way to talk about Burma. Uh, there's many languages, many cultures. And sometimes what would happen is I remember I would be in a service and one of the most complicated uh, combined services I've ever been a part of was in a Chinese American church where we had to have translations for Cantonese, Mandarin, and English constantly. And even within the Mandarin group, um, depending on how you immigrated and at what time you immigrated into the country, you're very different culturally, you know, socioeconomically, you're very different. Um, the Cantonese group, you know, did you, did you come during the heyday of Hong Kong's economy or did you come later? Did you come as a migrant worker for the restaurants or did you come at a time of great affluence? For Korean churches, we also have this uh, difficulty of, and this happens in other Asian American churches, um, you know, you came as a hardworking immigrant, but then you became successful and then you had children who cannot speak Korean well and... Um, and then uh, they need to find out how to worship in their own language, in their own culture. And sometimes people would say like, oh, you know what unity is going to look like if we all sit in the same service and we all sing the same songs and we all do the same things. And those were some of the most divisive and painful services I've ever been in. I've seen this also in church culture. There's a thinking that, you know, you know, the problem with church is, is that everyone is not doing it the way that I see it. You know, I really see the solution. It's so clear. If everyone could just kind of listen to my opinion, you know, because I, I clearly have thought about this a lot, you know. I mean, I know other people have thought about it, but I've really thought about it more than everyone. So if you could all just agree with me, we would all be happy. And when change comes to the church, the immediate response is defiance and resistance because whatever is coming cannot be good. I need to do my God-given role of guarding the church, ensuring that it does not fall into the dangers of this change. 
I don't know. I'm just talking. Does this sound familiar? I'm not sure. The next thing, family and friends. This is a troubling trend that I'm seeing where I'm hearing more and more accounts of people who say they're cutting off family members because they cannot abide by what they do or how they think. This isn't simply a right or left thing that's happening on one side. It's, it's all over. And I do want to be clear here. I think there are wise ways to make boundaries. I do think there are some ties that we have that you really have to ask yourself, is this tie really not giving the shalom and the life of God? Maybe there are ways that we need to walk away from things. But on the other hand, we need to really question, on what grounds are we making these boundaries and lines? Is that family really a healthy unit and united just because they rooted out all the difficult family members? Is that church really okay if they forced everyone to act a certain way? So what I like to do as I am trained to do and what I strive to do personally is I like to think, what does the Bible think about unity? And when I read the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, You've got to read the whole thing. You discover this amazing and simple truth that we are united in Christ, but we are all diverse in story. And when we are united in Christ and diverse in story, that is when we are at our best and we honor God the most. You see, I like to argue that diversity has been on the forefront of God's kingdom since the very beginning, and it's going to be so right to the end. I see this straight from Genesis to Revelation. Um, I'll be merciful to you. I will not go through the entire Bible, but I could. But let me do a real quick kind of summary of what I see. Is that what I see in the beginning, God created us in God's image. And if you look at the account, the interesting wording of it is that male and female, God created them in God's image. So it's not just that the male has the image of God. It's not just the female has the image of God. It's that together, they bear the image of God. And what they were called to do was to not just stay in the garden, but the mandate for them was to multiply and be fruitful, to have all kinds of fruit spread throughout the earth. And what we read is that in the Garden of Eden, they chose not to do God's will. And the repercussions keep happening over and over again after that choice. And one of the big uh, repercussions of that, as we go further in Genesis 11, is about the Tower of Babel. As some of you might know this story. We read this uh, interesting account of where people began to gather and say, hey, let's all put our resources together and build a tower. Surely, if we all work together, we can make something that goes right up to heaven. Now, again, this sounds wonderful, isn't it? Like people working together. Um, they're united. This should be wonderful. But God was very concerned about this because God said that, you know, we need to go down and break this up. And, you know, when he says we, we're talking about the Trinity. We need to break this up because if they think that they can accomplish this, they'll think that they can do anything. And what was going on here was that they were in direct defiance to what God was saying. God was saying, spread out. And they were saying, no, 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 let's all gather together and let's all be the same kind of person, and uh, we can do anything. And so what God had to do was he had to break them up 
with languages. And some people think, well, that was a curse, the curse of languages, and that's why they didn't understand each other and they scattered. It was actually the gift of diversity because it forced them to realize, like, oh, we're different. Uh, I got to figure out who I am. And they had to spread. Friends, how do we do this? We resist God's move if we keep clustering together with people who are just like us, even though it's very easy to. You know, a lot of people, when they start church plants, I think if they're just really honest, why are you planting this church? Because, like, you know, I don't like my current church. I wish I just had a church with people like me. So I'm going to make a church like me and watch how people gather to me, you know? And it's dangerous, friends. That looks more like the Tower of Babel to me. To go further, and, you know, again, I could go through the prophets, um, how God is calling a people by the Spirit. I could go through the minor prophets. I could go through even intertestamental text about the dangers of when people gather around something and then they exclude people who don't agree with them. Holy wars talk about this all the time. It's like, we have the right thing, conform with us or die. So what the Bible is trying to tell us is in Acts chapter 2, something different happens. After the resurrection of Christ, we, we read this great miracle happens. All of Christ's followers are waiting in the upper room where Christ told them to wait. And as they're gathering in one place, this is an amazing thing. There were people gathered from all different places, different languages and dialects, and a great miracle happened. Everyone talks about the great miracles. They saw these tongues of fires over their head, which is very impressive. Definitely, if I was hanging out with all of you and then you know, flames of fire came over your head, I'd be pretty impressed. But you know what the real thing that they said was impressive? Was they said, how is it that we have everyone gathered from all these different places, and they listed all the nations, all the dialects, everything. And he said, how is it that we hear everyone worshiping in their own language? How do we understand each other? You see, the gift of Pentecost, you know, uh, from my Pentecostal background, we all talk about like power, you know, you know, inspiration. The real miracle of Pentecost is that we understood each other. We came together again. I believe Pentecost was the healing of the wound of Babel. In Genesis, we were broken apart by our diversity. But in the Holy Spirit, we come together and understand and can worship together. People had never seen anything like it. And Peter, when he stood up to explain what was going on, he testified, this is the promise of God that we read with the prophet Joel. And then, yes, I'm going to go all the way to Revelation. So it makes sense then in Revelation what do we see at the end? Do we see one God country, one God nation? No, we read that many nations, all the nations are gathered before Christ. You see, God is not here to root out our differences, but God is here to welcome the nations in the end. There is no one kingdom in the kingdom of God. It is that there will be many nations, but they will all be united in Christ. Friends, all of you come from a different background. All of you come from a different place and a different story. God honors it. God is not here to destroy your uniqueness and your unique story with your pains and your joys, your victories and hardships, but to honor it and to say, in the family of God, there's a place for you. And any church that tries to supplant one story over another is moving away from the kingdom of God, I believe. 
Why am I talking about this? In the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about how the gospel, the good news of God, speaks to a divided world. How the good news of God speaks to a world that is torn apart by racism. I'm so proud of the Asian Alliance of American Baptist Churches that we have initiatives that are directly dealing with this. In the Evergreen community, the Euro-Caucasian group is recognizing their need to, to come to terms with uh, white fragility, with their understanding of what is going on. The Black Caucus vo vo uh, vocalizing their pain and their hurt. Uh, the Latinx community, the Latinx caucus, they just talk about what um, they are going through and to give their perspective. It's important for us to realize this is not a social movement, but this is a God movement that is rooted in scripture. And I want to show this as I talk in these following weeks. What's my, what's my passion behind this? What's my inspiration behind this? I'm just gonna share a simple story to you. I was a very young and very involved uh, churchgoer when I was uh, in college. Um, I was the president of my Christian club. And uh, it was, um, uh, Korean campus ministry. And what it was, was for Korean Canadian students on campus. And we were just meeting. We didn't know what we were doing. We had no mentors. It was completely student run. It was very modest, let's say. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, we were so sincere. We were so sincere. And we found a mentor um, from another uh, Christian fellowship. And, and we all love this man because he was just so articulate. He was so dynamic and charismatic. And he was very well-meaning too, and I, I really appreciate him. But I'll never forget this one conversation he had with me that made me very uncomfortable. I remember the time he said this. You know, Sam, you go to a Korean church, and uh, I get your parents have to go there because they don't speak English well, but why do you go there? You really shouldn't be going there because when you do that, you keep reinforcing and you keep making walls by going to this Korean church. You shouldn't be going to this Korean church. And you know what he's trying to secretly imply is like, you should come to my church because we're multicultural. We're diverse. And can I tell you, it, it, uh, it gave me great grief and uh, guilt for many years because he was my mentor and he was speaking to my life. I couldn't say he was wrong. Um, I didn't have really a language to articulate this. And what I basically felt like was, you know, if I was really serious about what I see in God's scripture, I need to join his church or or a non-Korean church, like putting the word Korean on it is, uh, is exclusive, you know? It's, it's not a good thing. And now that I'm older, I realize, you know, when I think back, I visited his church a couple of times and I just couldn't fit in. And can I tell you, there were people, there were um, people of different ethnicities and different backgrounds, but you know what? I couldn't put my finger on it. I said, I still don't feel like I belong. What's going on here? Now that I'm older and have some kind of perspective, I realize even though they were multiracial, they were still white. You know, have I also gone into churches that are uh, Korean churches? And it's, it's very exclusively Korean. You just can't feel like you belong. So I realized we have a very superficial understanding of unity. And so I speak to you as a pastor who's Korean with my associate pastor, who's Chinese-American, our worship leader, who is Euro-Caucasian. And uh, we are working in a church, I believe, called Japanese Baptist Church, right? And there is definitely not a majority group in this 
as sitting here in our space, and I believe online as well. So what do we make of all of this? I had some reflections about what this would look like in the kingdom of God and some things to understand. But I believe that there's a lot of things going on in diversity, and we have to think harder about it. Because just having a superficial diversity, so let's say we change our name, right, to Broadway Baptist Church, Broadway Neighborhood Church, you know, to be even more friendly. Does that mean we're diverse? No. Does that mean we might have lost something? Yes, very possibly. Is this solution for us to simply become generic? I don't think so, because a lot of people who call themselves multicultural are not multicultural at all, because they don't realize that they have their own culture. What is the culture that we want to set here? The culture that we want to set here at Japanese Baptist Church is that we are one in Christ, but diverse in story. And here's some four things that I just want to share with you as I kind of um, walk through this. And I hope you can understand me as I share. The first thing I want to share is that when you listen to other stories, it doesn't mean that our story is discarded. When we listen to other stories, it does not mean our story is discarded. I want you to know that um, I think Roberta and I, we have spent a lot of time this year working on the legacy space. I cannot, I mean, Roberta, you'd never want me to do this, but I want to just lift up. There has been countless hours that Roberta has poured into researching and collecting and learning humbly from the story of JBC. And I also have spent much time working and thinking of a way that we can have a platform to tell the story of Japanese Americans and Japanese Baptist Church. And yet, neither Roberta or I are Japanese. We have deep love and connection to the culture. But when we study and we learn, there is nothing implied in our study and our complete dedication to telling the story of JBC that says that our individual story is not important. Rest assured, I have a very important story to tell as a Korean Canadian. To hear about, and I share about it in my sermons, I share about it if you talk with me, is because my culture is important. It has a story to tell. I'm so thankful for um, friends like uh, Angeline, who is uh, Chinese American, our friend uh, Jessica, who is uh, you know, bicultural, uh, Japanese and Filipino, and she gives voice to um, the concerns of the Filipino community, and rightly so, because these are things that we need to hear, because she's part of our family. But she's also wanting to be here and to learn about the story of JVC as well. Some of you grew up in Japan, some of you did not. All of your stories are so important, and listening to other stories does not mean that your story is less. The second thing is, other stories help us understand our own story. This is kind of funny. I remember when I was living in England, um, I lived there for a year, and I was talking to one of my friends, and he was saying, you know, I never really thought about being English until I left England. And then I remember when I lived in another country, I started talking in this crazy Queen's English, like talking like I was like having tea with the Queen. I was doing all these British stereotypes, and I was like, who am I? And then we were sharing this because I was saying, you know, I have never felt more Canadian than I have when I lived in a foreign country. 
I began to get so into hockey. I started talking about, you know, the benefits of our, uh, our medical health care system and, you know, talking about our wonderful system of government. And, you know, when I was in Canada, I didn't care about these things at all. And it was only when I began to contrast and live in different places, I began to appreciate who I was. Nothing told me about being Korean more than living in Japan. I remember when I was talking with my Japanese friends and I kept trying to figure out what year were you born? Because I need to figure out what language level I need to speak to you. And I remember my, my Japanese friends were always like, why do you keep asking? And like, are you trying to figure out how old I am? Because <laughs> I kept asking, so when did you go to school? So when did you graduate? So when did you? <laughs> and I realized that this is a very Korean tactic that I do. And I began to understand what are the values that I have being a Korean when I lived in a foreign culture. You know, friends, when you come into a place where you're pushed out of your comfort zone, you begin to think, hey, this is actually who I am. Um, one of the most wonderful things is, uh, I think, is like when you take a bunch of friends from different cultures and you all go to um, some kind of different food from another country, you begin to realize like, oh, these are the flavors I like. Oh, why is that? Because that's a very Japanese flavor. That's a very Vietnamese flavor. You know, that's a very you know, that's a flavor from my home country. We begin to realize our story, and we are only going to do that if we interact with other stories. Think about how much you will not learn about yourself if you only meet with people who have your story. The third thing, embracing your story helps others to embrace their story. I uh, said this many times in sermons and interviews, but I guess I'll just say it again because I've been saying it a lot. I remember, um, you know, in my interview, people asked me, like, what's your vision for Japanese Baptist Church? And I said, I want it to be as Japanese as possible. And they were like, what? And it says, but in doing so, I hope you also learn about my story too. Because I love my story. My story is very painful. And, you know, this is hard. And I also want to speak this especially with... Um, those who are represented in the Chinese, Vietnamese, and Filipino and Korean cultures here, we were really wounded by the Japanese story. There's no getting around it. There's a lot of pain there. But I want to love my story. And as I love my story, I hope you'll love my story because I love your story. How are you gonna heal from all the pain from how all of our stories are? And friends, we have to just be honest about this. If you live in America, you have really hurt this world somehow. The way that we're going to heal is that we embrace our story, embrace our mistakes, embrace our pain. But then in doing so, we're going to give permission to others to embrace their story and embrace their healing as well. Love your story. Be proud of your story. And when you do that, you can let others be proud of their story. And then the miracle happens is that we become proud of each other's stories. And the last thing I want to say is that if we take Revelation very seriously, from my understanding theologically, if you look through the whole book of the Bible, the full image of God will not be seen until we are a complete community in Christ. And this is what Ephesians is about. I joke about Ephesians. It's like, you know, if you don't have time to read all of Romans, just read Ephesians. It's kind of shorter and more compact. 
Um, that's kind of like a sloppy summary of it. But basically, Ephesians is saying, to what end is the church? To what, what's the point of everything, you know? If I could even be as strong, like, I think Ephesians even says, like, what's the point of the universe, even? And it's saying is that there were many walls, but in Christ, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, walls were broken, and we who were once not a people are now a people. We can only be the people of God when we allow the redeeming work of Christ to unite us all. So as I close this message, I want to challenge you all to think about how are we participating or resisting the move of God to spread out and to welcome as many as possible? How does our church work towards that mandate of diversity? Are we being fruitful, blessing the world around us with unity? Or are we clinging to false narratives of exclusion and superiority over others? How can we seek the power of the Holy Spirit to reach out to those who speak in a different tongue than us? Because the Holy Spirit is here to give us the common language of worship in Christ. God's mission is to make a people that God loves and that those people love God. It's that simple, and we are a part of that. This is not an extracurricular thing. So when we come up to issues of racism, of division of people and their different stories, this is not like a side thing for like socially active churches. This is right in the center of the gospel. There are people still I have not listed like in this sermon of your background and who you are. And I want to make sure that you are seen, you are loved, you are heard, and you're given your space to be honored and respected. Because in doing so, we do the work of God. Because if the end desire of God is to bring the nations together before the presence of God in the final days, then we must stand against these movements of racism, of where people consider one better than the other, where people degrade and mock the stories of others. We need to be a place that honors story and lifts them up and helps them to see that in Christ, this is the only place where all your stories can fit together. So may God help us on this journey. Let us be one in Christ, diverse in story. Amen.